Hello my lovely, this is Meike Thang, and before we jump into today's amazing episode, I want to let you know that all of this is brought to you by my Ultimate Podcast Guesting Workshop Series. This is something that you might want to look into if you want the A to Z process on how you can book yourself on a line podcast as a guest expert in order to expand your reach to new audiences, grow your email list, and deepen business relationships with fellow leaders as well. And all of this by not having to send a ton of pitches in the process or needing to outsource to an external PR agency. So is this something that you're interested in learning more about? Head on over to the show notes or you can head straight to makeathang.com forward slash UPG to find out if this is a right fit for you. And I recently just added a video widget in the bottom right hand corner. So if you are stuck or if you do have a question that's not quite clear on the invitation page, you can send me a direct message. Please be sure to leave your name and email after your question as well. And I'll get back to you as soon as I can. All right, that's it from me. Now let's get back to the episode. Hello, my lovelies. This is Meike Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover, and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently, and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to The Quiet Rebellion. Hello, my wonderful Quiet Rebels. I am beyond excited for this conversation on the podcast today. And it's not just because of the incredible topic that we have at hand, but who is behind it? So it's my dear friend, Madanobi, Chloe Nwangu, and we are going to be talking about why visibility is a rigged game so my lovely please do come on introduce yourself would you rather us um you know refer to you to a slightly different name or would you prefer if we started off with Mardenobi? oh that's such a lovely question thank you Meike um you know what Chloe is fine for now um yeah let's go with Chloe for now all right, Chloe. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. This has been a long time coming. And I remember when I first came across your work, when I saw this one line on your website, visibility is a rigged game. I thought, okay, you've got my attention. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but before we get into all of that goodness, let's take a step back for a moment, because I'd love for folks to know if they haven't had the pleasure of getting to know you yet, what do you do? And really, how did you start leading these conversations about this? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful question. Thank you. So I would say um, that my peers refer to me as the brand scientist. And so it started happening and that name stuck. (laughs) So I am the brand scientist. And um, my work centers around the idea that Visibility is not neutral because what we pay attention to um, is not neutral Um, and the sort of scientific reasons undergirding why. 
And I got into that work through maybe one of the weirdest avenues. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't go to school for marketing or comms or PR. I didn't go to school uh, for um, branding or brand strategy. I didn't go to business school, anything like that. I went to school for uh, international conflict resolution and mediation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm, look, I'm telling you, this is strap in. This is a ride. Um, <laughs> so I, I was trained to facilitate peace negotiations between warring nations. Um, and in the case of intra-state conflicts, like civil wars. Hmm. Um, and I, I remember the file that I was working on that really like brought this home for me. I was called in as a junior consulting person um, to a team of independent diplomats and other consultants who were working with one of the parties to the conflict in Yemen, the civil war in Yemen. Um, now I didn't realize it at the time when I accepted the assignment, but, um, this party to the conflict, they weren't actually part of the UN peace process. So as far as the UN was concerned, like they were not relevant to the discussions happening. And that's even though they were a pretty sizable chunk of the population. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as someone who's trained in mediation, I find lots of folks like me, we get into this work because we're sort of like, okay, I can level the playing field, right? I can, I can manage the dynamics in the room and make sure that everything is equitable and as fair as possible. So there are no big dogs. There are no small dogs. They're just people listening to each other and coming to an agreement together. One that works for everybody. Mm. But if some of the folks who needed to be in those rooms in order for the agreements that we were coming up with to actually be sustainable, like to last longer than five, 10 years, right? If some of those for folks weren't even making it in the door, then we had a bigger problem. And I kind of had a, <laughs> I think crisis of faith is like too dramatic, but some paler shade of that where I was like, oh, okay. It's not enough to be a mediator. Oh, okay. What do I do? What, like, how do I fix it? <laughs> right? Mm. Like, what do I do? Um, what, what skills do I have that I can bring to be bear here, essentially? Now, <laughs> rewind a number of years. <laughs> um, and you will find a little Chloe, the tech nerd, um, who built her first computer at like, I don't know, preteen age, or maybe I was seven. The story changes, like depending on who's telling it, but I was very young. And as a result, from that moment on, whenever I was in school, I would sort of supplement what I was doing with this parallel tech life, right? So if I had a job, it was usually in, in something tech related. And so when you are the young person at a nonprofit who has, like, who, you don't even need to have tech skills, but if you have like some tiny crumb of tech skills <laughs> they're always like oh can you do xyz all of these things right like take care of our online presence and blah 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 right even if you're not qualified to do it at all 
it just so happened that I happened to be very qualified to do it, right? Because I'd been working for years through high school and college and then eventually grad school doing like teaching myself to code, building websites for people, you know, like that sort of thing, just for fun. And so when they realized that these little nonprofits all over the world started asking me to help support them with their online presence, right? Mm. And so now fast forward again, (laughs) it's Chloe having her, her crisis of faith, essentially. And I'm looking at my toolkit of what I can use to solve this problem. And I said, okay, so maybe it has something to do with how folks are perceived. Maybe that's what it is. So how do I, what can I do to influence the impression that others have? And I started doing my homework and the answer was brands. And I, I knew because I looked at the various countries, frankly, right, that I had either dealt with at some point or like been in like tiny little bilateral meetings with at some point, right? And I'd seen how brands taught other countries and other entities how to treat you, right? Mm. In foreign policy, you like, you know, not to cross a certain line with a certain nation. because of their brand, because you can anticipate how they will react to that, right? And what that will look like. And so, so when I made that connection, I was like, okay, bet brands. Okay, cool. And that, (laughs) that's sort of what began my, (laughs) my descent into what I kind of do now, right? Taking my weird techie self and what I understood of helping folks shape their online presence. And this part of me that, (laughs) excuse me, was really focused and trained really intensely in like social psychology and very high stakes situations. Right. And I put those things together and that's what I have now. And for, for those who are interested, yes, that ethnic minority group by the time I had parted ways with the project and like was no longer working on that file they were part of the 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 UN peace um agreement so um or negotiation I should say and so that is in part because of the work that we did and the tiny tiny I, I contributed a very tiny amount to this but this is where I learned the power of brands and how to shape them at huge levels to influence perception in big ways to lead to impact at that kind of scale. Um, so, yeah. I'm just gobsnacked right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how is it that you and I have had hours and hours and hours and hours of conversations and chats and get to know you's and all of that? And how did I not know this? Wow. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it's not something I bring up often. <laughs> I mean, I would never have guessed <laughs> at all that this that this is like the wealth of your experience and I'm so honored that you chose to share it with us especially because you just shared that you don't mention it very often so I'm like oh you shared it with us the quiet rebels thank you <laughs> oh I mean thank you for asking the question um I 
I get it. I get asked it often enough that I know I could talk about this more, but I found that not everyone has the patience <laughs> to listen through to that, you know, that entire thing. And so I'll usually just give like a quick, like, I didn't go to school for this and I put things together and one pal, there it is, brand scientist. <laughs> right. So, um, so thank you for giving me the space. Of course, it's, it's an honor to be able <laughs> to have that space for you to share that story um with in that detail as well it really means a lot and it paints a very detailed picture as to why you do the work you do today and because something that I asked you before you came on to the podcast today was hey how do you think this topic about why visibility is a rigged game like why do you think it'll benefit and you said something about how our struggles with disability are actually often as a result of systemic failures than personal ones yeah and I think that's a beautiful shift into our conversation now about how this all kind of like came to be your core work yeah at the brand scientist so tell us all the things so if I okay let's start let's start from the beginning why do you feel or know that visibility is a rigged game yeah okay so the thing that initially put me on the scent of this was just sort of like the anecdotal experience of like millions of people, right? Like there's that. Of course, like scientifically, depending on what community you're in, that holds a lot of weight or it doesn't, right? But there's sort of like the the massive anecdotal experience, anecdotal experiences of folks, right? So that's kind of where I started. And then I started looking into, like, more seriously looking into cognitive biases. And for those who are unfamiliar with that, cognitive biases are essentially just shortcuts that our brains use to decide how we're going to behave. Um, and so I started looking into them largely because that seemed to be the basis for implicit bias, which felt like a different thing, but related, right? And also, in order for what I was seeing anecdotally to happen on the scale that it was happening, um, it had to be something, and like to continue to be happening for centuries, right? And millennia, it it had to be something that was operating at that level, at that sort of quantum level, right? And so I started doing research, picking through the various cognitive biases that are known and some that are lesser known. And I started collecting biases that I now call visibility biases. Um, and when you take the whole of visibility biases together, you get the phenomenon of underrecognition. Now, underrecognition is just our propensity as human beings to overlook and undervalue the experiences and ideas of certain kinds of people, right? Mm. And the root cause of underrecognition are these visibility biases, are these learned brain chemistries. Um, a great example that I always give to help illustrate and bring the point home uh, is the racial attention deficit. 
Now, the racial attention deficit comes out of some research from 2021, so it's fairly recent discovery, right? And this team was able to empirically demonstrate that Black Americans are 33% more likely to be overlooked by their white peers. In fact, I'll say it the way that the, the study said it. White Americans are 33% more likely to overlook their Black peers. And I think that that's an important distinction. Um, and that's even when those white peers have been incentivized to pay attention to those Black peers. And when those white peers know that that Black peer has information that might help them solve a pressing problem, right? Information or knowledge, right? So when both of those things are true, mm. the gap is 33% right? And and there are lots of qualifications around this study, right? There's the fact that it's necessarily limited, right? So it's just looking at white Americans and Black Americans. It's not looking at race in a wider way. It's not looking really at gender. Um, it's not looking at sexual orientation or socioeconomic status. It's not looking at gender expression, right? Like there are lots of things that were not included in this study, necessarily, but still, there's more room for research to happen. And so I say that to say that if you do not fall within that binary of black to white, that does not mean that the racial attention deficit does not is not something that's going on in your life. And it does not mean that the um, attention deficits that we face as underrecognized folks who may, may not be um, from a visible minority group, right? Um, aren't there, right? So I've spoken to, for example, a lot of white women who aren't sure if they're underrecognized. So one of the first things I have to tell them is like, yeah, you definitely are. You mm -hmm. absolutely are. And so this attention deficit that we're talking about, you exist somewhere on the spectrum as well. Um, and the list of cognitive biases just in general continues to grow day by day. And the list of visibility biases continues to grow day by day as well. And so the more and more that these visibility biases are discovered, sometimes by other researchers, sometimes by me, right? Like, and again, I am not a, <laughs> I am not um, an academic in the traditional sense, right? I do not have a PhD in behavioral uh, psychology or anything like that, um, even though I did get very intense training in neuroscience and all of these things leading up to the work that I ended up doing. Um, but I have been able to do interviews and research um, and pick out very specific phenomenon and give them names. Um, and that's a trend that I continue to this day. So I, it's part of the work that I do, finding different experiences that underrecognized folks are having and looking to see what the research is saying about those experiences and then naming them if they don't already have names. Um, so yeah, that is why <laughs> the visibility game is rigged. It's because we as a society have all been conditioned to allocate our attention in discriminatory ways. And that means for you, um, May Kay, and for me, and for our dear listeners, that people are more likely to overlook you as the default. That's the status quo. 
And so that leads me to the point that you mentioned earlier, right? That often we are going to look at that situation and consider it a personal failing, that I'm not consistent enough. I'm not mm. um, prolific enough. I am not interesting enough. I'm not pretty enough or witty enough or whatever it happens to be when really the issue is a systemic one. It's not a personal failing. It's a systemic failing. Um, and when you start to see that, then you get to start to problem solve at the right level. That feels like such a wave of, it's almost like a wave of relief in a, in a way, because it feels like, oh, it's not just me. I mean, like, of course, like we each to a degree have individual influence over the results we have Mm. but to hear you say that no there's a genuine thing going way deeper than that (laughs) that it goes beyond you it's like oh okay (laughs) that that feels like a relief to know and for us to be aware of so my question to you now is like there are so many different directions that I could have taken this conversation but (laughs) um the first step is awareness right And so my question to you now is, okay, now that we are aware that the visibility game is rigged and that there are cognitive biases that exist that um, often kind of like, they're not in our favor, yeah. let's just say, um, yeah. especially if we identify with being under-recognized. Mm-hmm. So my question to you now is, so what can we do about that? Knowing yeah. that there are so many roots that go deep in into areas that we can't even really like yeah. touch directly so yeah. what can we do about it is my yeah, question to you great question so so i will start here right that there are sort of two faces of the same coin that we want to address right we want to address the visibility bias right and The thing about the visibility bias is that it, think of it as like an acid, right? And so all of that visibility potential that you have, imagine visibility biases sort of corroding and eating away at that visibility potential like an acid, right? So we want to address the visibility biases, right? And, And diffuse them, right? So they're no longer eating away at that potential, right? But then on the flip side, we have something that I call the invisibility tax, right? And this is essentially what it feels like to be an underrecognized person, right? All of the little nicks and dents and bumps, some large, right? Um, the taxes that we are asked to pay to be visible, to be as visible as our peers. Um, and that's something that we've got to neutralize too. And that's because that tax, that extra burden makes visibility feel and in fact in reality become a heavier extra lift for you right Mm -hmm. so there's two sides of this coin that we need to address there's the eating of your (laughs) visibility potential and then there's like the weight that's literally on you as you try to fulfill that potential um now i found that the way that I personally address it, I'll start like very big picture abstract and then I'll give um I'll give some examples. Hopefully that'll make things a little bit more concrete. Um 
what I, what I do personally as the brand scientist, right, is I have a methodology that I call visibility engineering, right? And visibility engineering has two pieces of it. And I've kind of alluded to some of it in what we've talked about. The first piece of it is what I call impression management, right? And this is where we want to focus on, okay, how are you currently perceived? How do you need to be perceived in order to meet your goals? And I want to put a note here to say that how you need to be perceived in order to meet your goals does not necessarily mean that you need to conform Mm. or acquiesce to the systemic nonsense and shenanigans that exist around us, right? Like that's not, that's not what it means, right? So how do you need to be perceived in order to meet your goals? And then how do we bridge the gap, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that's impression management. Then on the other flip side of that, we have influence management, right? And this is where we sort of say, okay, as an underrecognized person, as really any person, right? But especially as an underrecognized person, we have to be very, very intentional about building and maintaining the health of our sphere of influence. This has to be a key focus for us. Um, and, <clears throat> and so I think. I'll think, I think I'll talk more about the influence management side, largely because the impression management side seems a little like self-evident. If it doesn't, oh my gosh, please feel free to like ask questions, <laughs> like, like ask me questions here and also like send me DMs and stuff like, what do you mean by impression management? Like what's involved? Like tell me more, like feel free, please. Oh my goodness. But like, that's the one I, I feel like the influence management side of things always seems the most mysterious to folks. So like that's, I will get more concrete about that. So. um So the first thing I will say is that when we're on the influence management side of things, the way that you want to address both of the things I started with, right? So the visibility bias, and then on the other side, the invisibility tax, right? To address the visibility bias, what I do with my clients is something that I call an inertia map. And essentially what this is, is we map out the behaviors that we want to see, right? So let's say it's, I would like to build a specific relationship or be on a specific podcast, right? Or be published in a specific publication, right? What you do is you say, okay, who are the stakeholders that need to be involved in order to make this so, right? Where are they now? What kind of behavior are they currently displaying? What behavior do we want to see from them on the other side? And what are all the micro steps in between? So that's where we start. Then we say, okay, great. What are all the cognitive biases, visibility biases included (laughs) that exist at each of these steps? And that's what I call an inertia map. When you are aware of what those biases are, what those cognitive biases are, that means that you can plan around them. Mm-hmm. And it's so key to have this down in front of you. I usually do this graphically with my clients. So like it's in front of them and they can see it. Um, 
because having it up in your head is, is less useful. I found, Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's how we take care of the visibility bias side of things, right? We bring it into the light and then we plan around what we see in that inertia map. Then on the invisibility tax side of things, what we do is something that I call, um, in fact, actually, I'll tell a story. Um, I'll tell a story to help demonstrate this. Um, so as as some who are listening may know, I don't know if everyone knows, probably not everyone knows, um, but I recently was published in the Harvard Business Review. Yeah, I was, I was, um, wait, I was waiting to like, you know, hang on a sec, like that is going to come up at some point. But yeah, yeah. but but you, you just went into it. So yes, do tell us. Yes, yes, because yes, I, I, I know that people, I, I've gotten questions from people about how this happened. Um, and so, <laughs> so I want to share. Um, so I was recently published in, in the Harvard Business Review. And the way that this happened, it's it if it had not been for the way that I was thinking about things at the time, in terms of this second side of the handling the invisibility tax, this would not have happened. So I'll tell you the events and then I'll tell you the sort of like the structure that was underneath all of this. So I had been trying to shop around one of my pieces, right? It was a piece on a visibility bias that I had discovered and named um, called the reciprocity gap. Actually, we should probably link it because that's, it's really. <laughs> yeah, definitely going to link it. <laughs> um, and nobody was biting. Okay. And I should, I should say this, right? That every editor that I, I pitched this to actually responded. Mm-hmm. And responded with feedback. That is very rare. Okay? okay. And so that speaks to the power of the piece, right? <clears throat> However, no one was biting, right? And so I got very fed up. I was very frustrated. And eventually I said, you know what? <clears throat> this is part of my intellectual property. I'll just publish this on my blog. Maybe that's for the best. So I published it on my blog. And I reached out to a few key friends of mine um, and sort of online business colleagues. And I said, hey, I just did this really brave thing. Um, I'm kind of nervous about it and scared. Um, I published a piece of my blog. Um, would you like read it and maybe share it with like anyone you think would be interested? And so I did that and lots of folks were thrilled and they were like, oh, this is great. I love this. This explains so many things, all of the usual stuff. One of these people, super busy person, skimmed through it very quickly, saw sort of like my highlighted blocks of text. You know how you like take out a quote from the piece and like make it really big, right? Saw one of my block quotes and essentially was like, oh my God, what? Oh my God, what? Like this line in particular is so fire. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. She was like, no, this has to be everywhere. And I was like, yeah, I know. I really, I really like, oh. right? <laughs> And she was like, no, this has to be everywhere. Let me introduce you to my friend who's been published in places like Slate and Harvard Business Review. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that would be great. So she introduces us. This person gets on a like a quick tea chat with me. I talk with him very generally about the idea of under recognition and like what that means. He 
after like listening to me, he's like, I really like what you're about. I think I need to hire you. And also I'd like to introduce you to my editor at HBR. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> That'd be great. Right. And so he does. Like, as soon as he gets off the, the call with me, he introduces me to his HBR editor. I respond with a sort of quick, like, hi there. Um, this is who I am. Here are three samples if you're interested in seeing them. Um, this is what I'm thinking about writing. Um, and I just gave her like a brief <laughs> thing about my background. She responds. She's like, sounds great. Let's do it. Here's the next step. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> Why was this so easy? I don't understand. <laughs> Somebody explain. I will explain. <laughs> no. I was like, I can't explain. You need to say. <laughs> yes, please do explain. We'd love to hear. <laughs> I, will, I will explain. Okay. Now this is the sort of thing that like someone's like, ah, oh, this was just like luck or like serendipity. Right. And like, Yes, this often happens for folks and it's luck and it's serendipity, right? The thing with influence management is that it can't only be that. Otherwise, you don't get to introduce. I'm going to put this. Um, you don't get to introduce predictability as far as your visibility opportunities are concerned, right? So, and this is actually something that I've seen a lot of folks who like are founders or started like their own boutique firm or something like that, right. Struggle with, right. They're getting visibility opportunities or maybe they're not right. Like maybe they're not predictably getting visibility opportunities or they are getting visibility opportunities. And those opportunities are not predictably leading to the outcomes that they want to have. Right. And so if, if we leave it up to chance or serendipity, yeah, that predictability is not going to happen. Right. And so what you want to do is make something like this, this serendipity thing, this, this chance thing, routine, right? Like this has to be something that like can happen again and again and again. And so the way that I do this with my clients is I use a tool that I developed called an endorsement matrix. And what this is about is how do we engineer buy-in from folks around us. And this starts with mapping your network. And I know it sounds simple, but it's not. <laughs> okay. And by like, it, it's, this is so key. Okay. Mapping your network graphically. This, I'm just telling you, I'm giving you all the secrets, y'all. This is what I do with my clients. <laughs> Take this, go and do what you wish. Um, but map out your network Make sure that in as much as you know, see how the various folks in your network are connected to each other, right? So do they know each other very well? Connect them with a solid line. Do they know each other kind of? Connect them with a dotted line, right? And keep doing that over time until you have a map of your network. Now, I could get into like the whole science of like what we want to do with that. I'm Maybe that's podcast two, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's podcast two. I will say though, that once you do that, what you then want to do is say, okay, cool. Who are the gatekeepers, the various stakeholders that I need to be connected with in order for the opportunities that I want to see happen to happen? Who are those people? 
put them on your map. Are they connected to anybody on your map? No. Keep expanding your map. Keep expanding your map. And what this looks like is basically having a routine for maintaining, constantly being in communication with, and expanding your network. And this does not have to be a heavy lift. <laughs> okay. I, I, I spend on this part, I spend like maybe five minutes a day, right? Like this doesn't have to be hard or a heavy lift. In fact, the whole purpose of it is to make sure that the invisibility tax is not like a yoke around your neck pulling you down. Right. And so as you do this, as you're expanding your network, you're going to start seeing connections that lead up to these various stakeholders, right? Then what you want to do is ask. Ask for introductions, right? Really? I mean, I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> would have thought? It is rocket science. <laughs> like, and truly, like, <clears throat> like, obviously, this can't be like the first thing you send somebody like after five years of silence, right? Like <laughs> this is why it's important to continue to be in contact with your network and, and checking in with them and seeing like what people want and need and seeing like how you can serve, right? Like I am in the habit of like regularly connecting people in my network to each other, right? On the one hand, it's just like a really nice thing to do. On the other hand, the science supports it, okay? <laughs> and like I said, that's podcast number two. There's like a whole scientific tradition around network analysis and network science that tells us why certain geometric shapes of networks bring certain outcomes or solutions. I won't even go into all of that, but I will say... <laughs> that building your network towards those relevant shapes, whatever your goal happens to be, is going to make that goal a lot easier because various shapes of networks contribute to different kinds of behavior change. And that's ultimately what we're after, right? Like fixing under recognition is a behavior challenge. Like under recognition is a behavior and we're trying to get somebody somewhere <laughs> to go from under-recognizing to recognizing. That's a behavior change, right? In fact, just about everything that we do is some kind of behavior change, going from not buying from us to buying from us, right? Going from um, supporting us, not supporting us to supporting us, right? Or not supporting that bill to supporting that bill. Um, inviting that ethnic minority into the peace process versus not, right? That's behavior change. And so when you think of it that way, <laughs> it becomes a bit clearer why your network is really important because mm -hmm. your network can reinforce the changes that you're trying to see happen. So I know I got like very... <laughs> I mean, when you started saying the map, I started envisioning my own because there is this, um, there is a like map template on Canva that I recently yeah. like came across, and one of my 
uh, one of the, the people I, wo- I was working with, um, she was like mapping out like how we're going to like do this program. Yeah. And then, um, and when you started speaking, I started envisioning that very same template, but I'm like, oh, like this is connected to who? And like, um, I'm already thinking of the different pillars um, that's going to like spread out into different people and who they're all connected. Oh yeah, I already started the map in my head, but like you said, it's not that great if it's just in your head. You need it out nope. there. <laughs> you need to get it down. You have to get it down. <laughs> uh, no, I love and that. So, I love and, that. Yeah. And so it's, and and I will say this, right? That as an underrecognized person, you do want to pay attention to power dynamics. I think this is something that a lot of mm. folks who talk about networks or networking or building relationships, right? Don't really talk about, right? But this is a key piece of my approach, right? Um, it's a key part of like the whole endorsement matrix thing to begin with, right? That you have to think about the power dynamics that are at play and understanding the ways that those power dynamics translate to how safe certain tactics and certain approaches and certain um, routines will be for you as you are expanding your your network that's that's the key thing like that's the thing that that makes this work even better for underrecognized folks and really at the end of the day is what sort of helps throw off the invisibility, the invisibility tax and the ways in which it can weigh on you. Um, and so like, yes, yes. The, like having the network mapped out, all of these things, so important. And they like, the more that you do these things, the lighter the load feels. But for those who like have this instinct that like some of the means of like reaching out to folks and that sort of thing may not feel or may not be safe, trust that instinct. Yes. Underrecognized people are so, so good at picking up on potential harm in their environment. And so I want to tell you to trust that instinct. And if that's there, pause. Maybe seek me out, <laughs> right? Like maybe shoot me a DM and like get a get a gut test from me, right? Like mm, power didn't like the, I'm not sure if this feels safe because I I can tell you really quickly like yeah there's a bit of there's a power differential there that might make this dangerous for you so here's how I would approach it given that right mm-hmm. um so yeah that's that's what I would say in terms of um. What do we do about it? How do we tackle the visibility biases and the invisibility tax? On the influence management side, that's what we do. I'm so glad that you talked about the impact of power dynamics and how that connects to safety because uh, something that I very consciously have done over the last probably two years, I think, um, is just to really take a step back and assess which groups and or rather which relationships I felt safe in and not safe in and why that was. And it was very often because there was a there was a dominating presence <laughs> um on one side that left me feeling like I had to be like quite submissive in in order to feel like I belonged there. And then 
um, when I, again, when I started acknowledging that, I thought, oh, okay. And then I, I'll tell you, one si simple shift in language has really helped me kind of like break away from that. Mm -hmm. And it's when we say the words, instead of saying the words, I look up to so-and-so, mm -hmm. I will say, I look to so and so, as Ooh. in they are further ahead in in their respective area of expertise, so but good. we're still on we're still on the same ground that I could potentially reach. Yeah, it's level it, playing field. Yes, like to a degree, right? Because obviously there are like things, different yeah. different things that influence like how far we can get and, and all that <laughs> stuff. But that I will tell you that simple shift in language has honestly changed the game for me. Yeah. Oh, and, that's so good. That's so good. Yes. And when I catch people, like, I, I appreciate the sentiment when they say, oh, I really look up to you. And I like, I appreciate that. But I invite you to consider this. And I, I will take the time to explain. And it's not like, I know they say that uh, um, because they're trying to express their appreciation and, you know, yeah. their, their respect. And yeah. I'm like, yes, but don't disrespect yourself in the process by actually saying these words. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes, people can't see me, but like I put up both of my hands and I'm snapping. <laughs> yeah. All the yes, so yeah, good. No, I love that. No, and so I really appreciate you just like mentioning that. And um, I, I I think like my personal litmus test when it comes to safety is that it doesn't have to make sense for my brain, so long as it makes sense to my body. Yeah, like my body doesn't lie. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just um. It's, you know, take it or leave that kind of thing. Right? <laughs> but like, I very much, well, you said a gut check. So technically that is within the body, right? Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> but yeah, I, I find myself, I was like, it doesn't have to make sense to my head. Mm -hmm. If my, if my body's saying something, there's something off, let's yeah. look into that and Absolutely. then just kind of trust that. And I think something that I'd love to bring to the, the conversation here as well, when it comes to safety is um, one of my peers actually was concerned about collaborating with a certain person who has a questionable reputation like on the front it looks fantastic but on the back there has been some talk uh -huh. right mm -hmm. and so they reached out to me and asked if they were open to me doing a safety check with them because mm. they knew that I was connected to this person who they were concerned about yeah. and that was the first time anyone has ever brought up the idea of having a safety check and ever since then I was like oh I, I think I need to do this too. But I, of course, doing that is a very vulnerable thing. <laughs> Imagine if like you're going to someone to ask for an opinion about something you're worried about. And that could, you know, bring up so many things. It could bring their own relationship into question. And it's, yeah. oh, it's such a, so safety checks, I think are an incredible option for those you already feel safe with. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what happened in my head. As soon as, yes, I was like, yep. Safety checks with people you feel safe with. And then you said it and I was like, yes. Yep. Connections firing. Yep. Yep. Got it. Yep, got it. Yep, got yep, it. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> snapping fingers. Snapping fingers. <laughs> Grogu approves. Stamp <laughs> oh, wow. You have given us an incredible wealth of information to think about and I'm curious like by the way just side note do you have a glossary over the things that you that you said today like um, the invisibility text the like there's just so much I'm like do you have a glossary on like your blog or something I'm sure I do somewhere um <laughs> like I 
I'm sure I do somewhere. Like there, there are some terms on my about page slash theory page, but like a dedicated glossary, I do not. And now I'm going to do that. Mm. I'm going to do yeah. that. Like that's and my... don't forget to like TM all the things. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Just be like, nah, I, I did come up with this. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I made and... a note to myself now. I'm like, no, do a glossary for sure. And speaking of coming up with things, I realized that we haven't touched on um, the fact that throughout this entire conversation, you've been using the beautiful language of under recognition. When mainstream, most of us use the words underrepresented. So as we kind of like start coming to a close here, I know this is like one of your biggest like soapboxes. Right? <laughs> and so yeah. could could you share with us, because this is the complete topic of your HBR article, which we'll totally link in the show notes, by the way, that you mentioned the important distinction between underrepresentation and underrecognition. So could you, yeah. uh, you know, like we'll Absolutely. leave, you know, the, the meat and potatoes or if you're, <laughs> if you're a vegan or vegetarian, the broccoli and potatoes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, broccoli and potatoes, the tofu and potatoes. Yeah, tofu and potatoes, like yeah. whatever, you know, <laughs> vegan alternative goes with potatoes. <laughs> But um, we'll leave like the big chunk of the awesomeness. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that instead <laughs> um, in the review itself. But could you give us like the gravy? Like, the yeah, review. no, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> okay, this you are right. This is one of my biggest soapboxes. So like, as soon as you asked, like I felt my body like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I, like, like prepare for battle. Like, oh, <laughs> like, oh, like, oh, make it, get off my chair. Make it look. You don't even know. <laughs> but you do know. That's the thing. I do. No. I do. <laughs> It's like that. Okay. I'm going to like just show my nerdiness right here and be like, it's like that one scene in Return of the King, the Lord of the Rings after Gandalf has like knocked Denethor down with like his staff. And he's like, "Ugh, I'm disgusted. And then he turns to like the rest of the city. He goes, propel, propel. Like that feeling. That's like what's happening in my chest right now. I still need to rewatch Lord of the Rings. I'm due for a rewatch of Lord of the Rings. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Do it. I've been watching people react to it and it actually bring, brought me such joy. So <laughs> it brings me a lot of joy. I'm just like putting it out there. If you want to rewatch your favorite things, but like kind of like new, this is for folks who are listening as well. Watch other people reacting to that thing. Mm. Yeah, there's something about it. Yeah, yeah. There is something about it. <laughs> but to your actual question, right. Y'all, okay. <laughs> Listen. Okay. Under, <laughs> first of all, the first issue, right, is that underrepresentation is a symptom of a greater issue, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's not the issue at hand. And the reason that we know that is because when we look at initiatives to fix underrecognition, what folks do is say, oh, okay, insert woman here. Right. And sometimes she may be of color, but not often. Right. They're like, insert woman here. That'll fix it. And what they, I guess, are not accounting for are the various invisibility taxes that they face. Well, I should say the various facets of the invisibility tax that they face. Right. So like that woman in that boardroom, let's say, that hasn't changed at all, except for like the, the, the makeup of the room, right, is now um, faced with an ambition penalty, right? Lots of us are familiar with those where, like, for our ambition, we are penalized and punished and, and harmed, right? Um, if you're 
if you're not subservient enough, you're called bossy. If you're not, you know, like these are like, mm-hmm. like the stakes are higher than this, but I'm just giving an example that like is accessible. Right. And so like putting, like changing the makeup of the folks in the room doesn't change the problem because that person continues to be underrecognized in that room. Mm-hmm. And if they don't beat the odds and somehow do the thing that you've put them there to do, um, then folks are like, oh, look, like she couldn't hack it when really <laughs> the environment was poisonous to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. And so the problem isn't underrepresentation. The problem is something else that has led to underrepresentation. Mm. And I contend that that's underrecognition. Now, <laughs> there are lots of reasons for this, and I talk about it in the article, but essentially just the idea that underrecognition puts us in the right problem solving frame of mind. Um, and what I mean by that is that. When we hear, oh, that person is underrecognized, the answer is both obvious and simple, right? You recognize that person and you can do it as an individual, you can do it as an institution, you can do it at all the various different levels that that needs to happen at, right? Whereas underrepresentation, I don't know how I can fix that, right? Me as like an individual manager, like, I don't necessarily have hiring power or I don't, you know, like, and again, I'm speaking about it from the perspective of a corporation because that's what I, I spoke to in this article, but this applies everywhere, right? That if you, if you are invited to fix some kind of quota, let's say on a panel or um, amongst a slate of speakers at a conference or whatever it happens to be, it does not mean that the people in that audience, the people in that panel, the MC or the person who's handling the discussion will recognize or respect you. Mm. We have seen that happen where they're just sitting there ignored. Oh gosh. As you're saying this, as is bringing up actual memories because I, I have been on panel discussions where I have I felt just that. Like I was there, but I wasn't there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's this, this, I I had a a client bring up this phrase where it's you feel visible but not seen. Yes, exactly that. Yeah. I mean, this this is that's what happens when you try to fix underrepresentation. You get a lot of underrecognized folks who are visible but not seen and are often set up to fail. But when you fix underrecognition, a lot of that is solved. Oh, gosh. The feelings. (laughs) Oh, because I I will tell you what it was. Um, There were multiple women of color on this particular panel that I'm referring to. And I can tell there is already like a hierarchical ranking between Mm -hmm. us Mm -hmm. and I can see that the others that I was with they were like seven figure plus and so I'm like okay I can understand why Mm -hmm. um the the facilitator 
was particularly focusing on them because of course mm-hmm. I appreciate 100% and acknowledge that of course financial success is yeah. you know one that we all want yeah right that we all gear towards and I'm like look I may not be there yet mm-hmm. but I felt so like it's because that, that felt like the only lens of success that was there for. Yes. And it's, and that was where the problem was like, look, I know I have so much more to give, but is it because I don't have that, that financial success yet that I'm not worth listening to? Yeah. Like that's, that's honestly how it felt. And it, it felt awful. And I can't, that's why I'm a bit like adverse to the idea of being on a panel. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> but like and this is like this is exactly it, right? Like that's what under recognition leads to. Like that's what the invisibility tax feels like, right? It leads to, okay, like I at panels don't feel safe anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> like that <laughs> that's absolutely what happens. So I honestly the the harm that under recognition has caused and the do you mean what you said under recognition do you mean under representation like I'm just yeah no so I like so now I'm just sort of like switching out and just sort of like talking more generally but like Mm -hmm. the harm that like under recognition right so like you know allocating our attention in discriminatory ways right the harm that that has caused and the it's not just the opportunities that that has stolen from people because there's that too, but the, maybe it comes back to safety again, right? The, the safety that it has robbed underrecognized people of, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like that's not, you don't fix that by fulfilling a quota. Yeah. So what I'm gathering overall from this conversation about the distinction between underrepresentation and underrecognition is that underrepresentation is like a band-aid solution. Mm-hmm. And um or rather like a band-aid that the oh, wait. <laughs> no, okay. If I think about it um from this panel perspective. If we're focusing on underrepresentation, then the solution is to simply bring people who are, you know, not quite there to represent mm-hmm. a certain group, mm-hmm. right? But what you're telling me here is that no, the bigger issue isn't about whether or not they're there, but mm-hmm. it's, it's about the it's almost like about the facilitator and the kind of space that they create exactly. for their voices to be heard. Exactly. So what I'm hearing is that they're focusing on the wrong thing. They're focusing yeah. on just the individual themselves who are like coming to represent X, Y, Z, but actually it's the facilitator's job. In, in this um, context, yep. um, uh, it's a facil- facilitator's job to be able to mediate in such a way that's a lot more equitable. Yeah. That's just not apparent in most spaces. That's what I'm gathering overall. Exactly. Exactly. And and that's honestly, that's behavioral science 101, folks, <laughs> that you don't you don't see behavior change by giving people information or, you know, like you see behavior change by changing the environment, right? Like that's how you design behavior change. You change the environment, right? And under representation, using that as the core problem that you're trying to solve doesn't change the environment really at all. 
or in the right way, maybe I should say, right? Mm -hmm. It just puts those people in harm's way. My oh my. Yeah, I think you're right. We need a part two. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. As soon as I was like, oh, I didn't even touch network science today. I was like, we do need a part yeah, two. Yeah, like, no, that's oh, been, no. That, that is fascinating. Like, um, <laughs> just like the tidbit that you gave us. And I'm totally gonna start off my own map. But um, do it, yes. Oh, so okay, Chloe, like we talked about so much today, and I'm sure folks in the audience right now, they're like, okay, that's a lot. A lot of new terms, which is why we do need that glossary from you. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm, got, I'm working on it. I've got it. <laughs> um, so if you were to kind of like really hone in on the core takeaway from this whole conversation today about acknowledging that visibility is rigged, mm. there are various cognitive biases that are existent. So if I were to ask you just like one core question, was like, what can we take away from this? What can we do differently? What can we do, basically? Yeah. And my answer would be solve for under-recognition. That would be my answer. Um, solve for under-recognition. And that might look different depending on where you're coming from. But the building blocks and like the frankly startling amount of detail that I gave today are all really good starting places for how you start to solve for under-recognition when you are under-recognized yourself and you are trying to diffuse and neutralize the things that are making that the case. Putting out the fires. That's what, like, I literally envision that there's so many little fires that we need to put out first before we can even breathe. Yeah. yeah okay so that was a lot and I think we really are, are, are due for a part two so <laughs> <laughs> so my lovely quiet rebels if you're like ah oh, that was a lot don't worry we've got you covered make sh- I'm making sure to link the eventual glossary that Chloe will have for us and so I'll be sure to release this episode when, that, when it's <laughs> available <laughs> um so which actually brings me to my next point um so for those who are so fascinated about our conversation today and who would love to connect with you where can we find you on the interwebs Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the first thing that I tell folks is that chances are very high that you're going to have a lot of questions. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Totally normal. Totally normal. Uh, I tend to bring that out in people. (laughs) And so what I would suggest is coming to one of my monthly visibility clinics. Um, I answer any questions that you happen to have about visibility biases, about the invisibility tax, anything that's related. If you have questions, I will answer them and I'm delighted to do so because I am best when people ask me questions. So um, <laughs> sure we will leave a link to that as well. So come to the visibility clinic if you have questions. Okay. Um, Outside of that, I will say that I am often on LinkedIn. Um, that's where I share if I've come upon a new um potential visibility bias or a new facet of the invisibility tax. Um, so follow me on LinkedIn for like keeping up to date on those kinds of things. Um, if you kind of just want to see like <laughs> what I'm up to, um, I'm also on Instagram. Um, <clears throat> I'm mostly posting on um, stories. So like I will be sharing things that are like very interesting, whether or not that's research, whether or not that is under-recognized stories that I thought were really inspiring, um, whether or not it's a piece from like my 
big catalog of IG posts that are like largely about impression management stuff. So like also if you didn't get your impression management fix, go to my IG and look at my posts. There's like tons of stuff there. (laughs) Um, And yeah, that's what I would say. Like those are like three really good options in terms of sort of like getting into my orbit, getting your questions answered um, and keeping on top of, you know, like the latest as far as visibility engineering is concerned and like how we, how we beat under recognition. So. All right. So we've got the visibility clinic, LinkedIn, Instagram. I'll make sure to link to your um, HBR um, article as well, of course, and obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And um, I'll also pop your website as well for those who are interested in learning more about what you do and how they could potentially work with you as well. All right. Wonderful. So, Chloe, I know that we've been having such a gorgeous conversation. And so I've only got two final questions for you. Are you ready for them? Yes, I am. All right. So number one, I, first of all, you know, I already acknowledge that this is a leading question. So I needed to make sure that you even identify with it. Yes. So my question to you is what makes you a quiet rebel? Yeah. Ooh, okay. So I would say that if I were to answer in sort of like a stereotypical way, I would say, well, I'm an introvert, right? Like I recharge by myself or in small groups. Um, and that is sort of how I prefer to plot, uh, to make things happen. Um, but I think the thing that really has made quiet rebellion, I'll say a, a core piece of me is the fact that the science supports it. <laughs> and, and that's because When you, when you're focused on disrupting the present, um, chances are really high that you are going to instigate something that behavioral scientists call reactance, um, backlash, right? Because the status quo always defends itself with violence if necessary. And so it is those subtle, quiet rebellions that actually get the job done. And, and so I, I would say that it's a combination of those two things that like one, it's, it's how I best operate personally as a human being, but also the science supports that that's how we, that's how we shape the future, right? That's, that's how we do it. And so for that reason, um, yeah, I would say that's what makes me a quiet rebel. I've had many incredible guests on this show and not one of them have ever, has ever said something like this. And so when you said that, I was like, yes, you hear that quiet rebel silence is on our side. Honestly, as soon as you asked that question, I was like, oh, duh, the side supports it. Like this is like, it's like 102, maybe I'd say like, yeah, like it's, I, and I think that there's something really delicious and almost seditious about it and the thing that i love about the idea of sedition as opposed to other kinds of rebellion is that it's recognized as dangerous by the status quo that's what makes sedition interesting to me and i see that tied hand in hand with quiet rebellion so yeah Mm. all of those things okie dokie well 
Yeah, I'm quite happy now. (laughs) 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 Love it. All right. Okay. So my final question as we wrap up is we've had a, a really great front row seat to how your brain works and you know your expertise is far and beyond what I've known about you so far and so I was like oh geez okay (laughs) I and I love that so appreciate that and so that's why I love asking this final question because I would love for the quiet rebels who are listening right now just to really get to know you a bit better and so my question for you is do you have one weird fact or a fun story about you that no one else knows on the internet? <gasps> oh my goodness. Um, uh, <laughs> yes, I'm sure I have tons. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Because I had a weird fact, but now I kind of like the idea of a weird story. You can have a combo. We're more than yeah. hybrids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I... Um, Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) This is okay. This is the weirdest. Okay. This is the weirdest story. Um, and to this day, I'm like, not okay. I'll just tell the story (laughs) because I, I'm not talking about this on the internet. Okay. So, um, my, during my sophomore year in college, um, I lived in Japan and I was doing um, a lot of research. I was doing like my own personal research, but also um, working hand in hand with my advisor, who was a linguist, right? And so all of our research projects needed to be sort of connected to larger linguistic projects, right? <clears throat> now, um, I and a like fellow student of mine decided to go to Nara. Um, to sort of visit the park there and look at all of the various sort of religious iconography and things as that was related to both of our projects. And I remember <laughs> that I I crossed the threshold into Nara Park with my friend. And there's like this hunched over old lady, like very Japanese women, at least in Japan, that I've seen. Like they grow like much smaller. They grow very tiny when they get older and it's very cute. So she was like very tiny and she was selling chestnuts. And so we <clears throat> walked over to her because we're like, it's kind of cold, like warm chestnuts sound nice. So we get, we go up, pay her the chestnuts. And then she says in perfect English, run. <laughs> what? 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 Okay, okay, that's so, a good twist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like several layers. Okay, several layers here. One, I have found often, and this is somebody who went to Japan to save a dying dialect of Japanese, right? Like, I've often found that older Japanese folks do not speak English often, mm-hmm. um, or if they do, it's not very fluent, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's heavily accented. No shame there, nothing like that. You know, like that's just what I found. This older Japanese lady, old, very old, no accent, perfect English, run. My friend and I look at each other and we're like, what the heck? Like, oh, oh my God, what? So we run, of course, because we're like, this is terrifying. I want no thing to do with this. So we run and then we kind of like look around and like things seem fine. So we're like, okay, this is fine. And we go about our like research project. 
at the end of the day, it's dark, it's raining. We go under like a pavilion and we just sort of like want to wait out the storm. And <clears throat> we see off in the distance, like, we're not sure it's like sort of glinting and white. And we're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Like, maybe there's like some metal out there or something. Like, I don't know, maybe we should like get away from it because like there's lightning. And then it gets closer and it's a deer. It's one of the 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 deer that live at the park, right? They've got lots of deer in this park, right? So like, this isn't a surprise to us. What is a surprise is that this deer appears blind, right? So its eyes are filmed over white. And so we're both like, oh, I don't, mm, <laughs> mm, don't love that. Don't love it. So let's just head to the opposite side of the pavilion and not be near it. As soon as we move, it makes this awful sound, like a <laughs> sound. I'm like, not even kidding. Like that was the sound. And, and then it starts chasing us and like, it starts chasing us, but then other deer join it to start chasing us. Like no less than like 10 of these deer are chasing us. And we're like, is this really happening? We're like slow running. Then like, they're getting very close and they seem very angry and aggressive and we don't understand. And meanwhile, this one blind deer which I think is kind of sick because it was limping kind of awkwardly, like was making this baying sound. And we just kept running. We're like, okay, no, actually run because this is terrifying. We crossed that same threshold near where we saw that old lady. As soon as we crossed the threshold, the deer stop and they disappear one by one. And we're like, seriously? (laughs) So we go to sit down by the bus stop and just like chill. And then like, you know, casually some like really big crows. They may have been ravens. I don't know. Just kind of like start cawing around us and like landing nearby. And we're like, absolutely not. And we get up and And we're like, nope, absolutely not. We get up and we go and we like walk the mile that it takes to get to the train station. And like, that's it. So (laughs) I, I tell you this story because like, this sounds like the sort of story that I might have written. Right. I do enjoy that. There's the fact <laughs> I enjoy creative writing um, and I do it quite often. And I could I could not have written a story this good or terrifying. I I to this day, I'm kind of like, did this really happen? Like this did just you, seems did, like, did you look it up? Like, did it no, like, we, like, we, <laughs> we, like we, I mean, <laughs> we looked it up in as much as like, I mean, like, what do you look up? Like horror story at co like like, like not a, yeah, like, yeah, not a what? blind deer, like has this happened to anyone? <laughs> like there there are stories of like deer kind of like attacking people, like not like in droves or anything like that, but like, you know, like a headbutt or something like that when you like get too close to something of theirs, maybe. But like this, this was. I don't have, I truly don't have words. Like I, <laughs> to this day, sometimes I will text that friend from sophomore year and be like, did this did really happen? happen? <laughs> did we imagine this? Was this all a dream? I'm sure like, if it was a dream, I dreamed it too. So <laughs> I just, it was like, honestly, so surreal. And like, just like a really good, creepy Japanese horror story but also like why was it happening to us the random gaijin right like sorry for those who are unfamiliar gaijin is um foreigner 
um like a sort of shortened word for foreigner why was why mm. i don't like so okay <laughs> well okay when we get off this interview i'm so gonna google this and i'm sure there's a, a reddit thread somewhere <laughs> yeah so but like that's 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 a story that I have not shared with you on the internet because it's honestly too crazy to share. Like, first of all, it's going to have the patience to sit down and listen. But also, like, what? Are you serious? There's no way this happened. Meanwhile, oh my gosh, so crazy. Um, Yeah, so that's the the one of the weirdest things that's ever happened to me. And I'll tie that up with the fact that I enjoy creative writing and writing poetry. And have since I was in elementary school. And I've sometimes sent my writing out under a pseudonym and I've won a couple of prizes. So, oh, I mean, no big deal. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, truly, truly, it's not though, because they're like, they're not like big prizes or anything. They're just like little things. Uh, small, know, big, still matters. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my attitude for everything. <laughs> that's fair. Thank you. Oh, wow. Okay. So, the takeaway I've gotten from that is if I were to ever go to Nara Park in, in Japan to be mindful and look for a chestnut lady and if she said the same thing. And then I will go back and confirm with you that, that yo, Chloe, I also this got this message and it happened. happened. <laughs> I uh, honestly, I did try to find that chestnut lady. <laughs> I, did her, I did try to go, go like, is there a chestnut lady? Okay, no, seriously, I am going to try and find a Reddit thread and see if I can find If I find it, I will send it to you. And obviously, I'll give you a heads up. I'm like, look, you can click on this link if you want to, but it's up to you. Um, but anyway, because like I, I find it fascinating, like kind of supernatural stories. Um, like I've been down plenty of Reddit rabbit holes of certain mm-hmm. stories of similar nature, not necessarily as animals, but um yeah. other things, let's just say, <laughs> other beings. Um, and i'm just gonna leave that that. (laughs) yeah no yeah okay like fully like please send that to me but like truly it's the like the whole it's the fact that nothing happened until we crossed the threshold and then crossed the threshold again it's the fact that like the old lady told us to run but like Mm -hmm. from what oh turned out like six hours later that we were Mm -hmm. gonna have to run you know like there's so much here that i'm like what oh my god okay yeah i'm kind of like creeped out but in a fascinated way <laughs> so I remain so creeped out by this story every now and again my family will bring it up they'll be like do you remember that time you were chased by deer and now I'm like first of all you make it sound so nonchalant like I was just chased by deer and like I wasn't running from my life <laughs> yeah I mean like I, I have a deer story that's not that scary um I there were hundreds of deers no, I kid you not, in Richmond Park here in London. Yeah. But um, it was during the time of the rut, which is their mating season, right? Yeah. And you would, uh, we saw a stag, like two stags fighting. And like this um, herd of deer were all does, like all the females. Yeah. Um, and they were literally, I kid you not, they were literally, uh, I'd say less than a meter away from me. And this huge herd just passed me by. And then my friends were like, okay, do not move and I was like so my body didn't move but my eyes sure did and I looked at the side I see hundreds of deer passing me and I'm like okay thank goodness they're not actually trying to attack me but that even that was scary um but yeah okay so props to you for having that kind of experience thank you for sharing with us and (laughs) 
and I think not just me but I'm, I'm sure a couple of people are also going to go down the reddit rabbit rabbit hole <laughs> to see <laughs> to see if they can find any evidence I'm sure there are stories anyhow I wish you luck <laughs> <laughs> like truly the most surreal strangest thing that ever happened to me in my life so yeah <laughs> Anyhow, Chloe, I've so appreciated your your presence, your generosity with your knowledge, and just like you've I think you've lit a lot of light bulbs today. And mm-hmm. I so appreciate your willingness to share these things, especially the stories that you typically don't share in other places. And that really says a lot. So um I think I'll leave it up to the listeners to bring you back for a part two. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think like I myself, I would like part two. So <laughs> so anyway thank you let so much for, yes yes let us know send us a dm and let us know um but yes seriously and and for those of you again who are listening um i'll make sure to pop all of the links in the show notes so you can find out you know all of the beautiful things about the visibility clinic the harvard business review article all the good things but chloe thank you so much for being here i so appreciate you thank you for having me i'm honestly really deeply flattered thank you And so my lovely, there we have it. So everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes. So be sure to head for that link. And if you haven't done so already, I would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation. And of course, if you feel cool too, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet ripples find us. Oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back same place, same time next week for another episode of the Choir Ripples podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.